So recently we have been talking about sowing in the spirit. So we have been camping a little bit in Galatians 6, verse 7 to 8. It says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And we've been talking about how every day we have a choice. Are we going to sow into the things of the spirit or are we going to sow into the things of the flesh? And when we sow into the things of the spirit, it helps us know the Lord and then have an impact on the world around us. When we sow into the things of the flesh, it results in corruption, the word tells us. And us not being very effective or fruitful um, for the Lord. We've talked about gathering together, the importance of gathering. We've talked about praise, about how that can shift the atmosphere and how it um, ushers in the presence of God. And when the presence of God is there, everything is possible. So that's so powerful. We've talked about the Word, that being in the Word, this is how to get strong in the Lord and how this builds you up and keeps you on the right track, yes? Today I want to talk to you about prayer. And I know lots of the time when people say, I'm going to talk about prayer, everyone's like, ugh. Because I feel like we all sometimes feel like we should be praying more, but we don't. And it's just a thing that we know we should do, but we don't always engage in prayer in an in a effective way. Does that make sense? So I want to talk about it a bit today. And there's so much to be said. Um, but if you're sitting there being like, oh, this is so simple, this is a basic thing, my question to you is, do you pray without ceasing? Is there anyone here that prays without ceasing? Because that's what Paul exhorts us to do, pray without ceasing. Is there anyone who's free from worry or anxiety? Because in Philippians, Paul tells us, be anxious for nothing, pray about everything. Right? Um, so, awesome. We're all like, yes, we need to, let's dig into prayer, hey? We can grow here. <clears throat> Brother Lawrence, who's heard of Brother Lawrence? He says this, There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of continual conversation with God. Prayer is conversation with the Lord. I'm stating the obvious here. And it's such a joy. This is what Jesus paid for. This is what his blood paid for, that we would have access to his presence to commune with him anytime, all the time, no matter what's going on. This week I was, um, we had prayer and worship on, on Wednesday. And to be honest, wasn't feeling like it. Wasn't feeling it at all. 
I was tired and I didn't want to come. And I was just like, ah. Oh. And our interns weren't here that day. And I was like, I could so easily just call this off. I could not come. Um, and it would be okay. But I was like, no. <laughs> I'm going to sow in the spirit. I'm going to practice what I'm preaching and I'm going to rock up even though I'm not feeling it. And so we came and we worshipped and as we were worshipping, I saw a vision. The Lord showed me. He, was, he actually showed us and he's like, Naomi, don't, don't grow weary and don't lose heart. And he showed me a vision of us digging a well. And he's like, every time you worship, every time you pray, you're digging a well. And, and I could see the well getting deeper and deeper. But then he showed me that as we were going deeper and deeper above us, there was a heavenly realm opening up. And the deeper we got, um, the deeper the well got, the bigger the heavenly portal um, was open above us. And I just felt this shift in the perspective of Oh, if only we could see what happens in the spirit when we worship and when we pray. If only we could see, and I feel like I just got this tiny little glimpse of like, ah, oh, this matters. What we're doing matters. When we worship, when we gather on a Sunday, it matters. Every time we pray, every time we gather, every time we commune with the Lord, it is shifting things in the spiritual realm and it's releasing heavenly possibilities on the earth. It's good. This week I was, uh, I was reading a commentary for another, another thing that I was doing, not for this. And I got distracted in a chapter of this because it was talking about prayer. And it got me fired up, so I wanted to read it to you. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> let's go. I think I should put it down because this is heavy. It says, prayer plays a significant role in the story of the church as recorded in the book of Acts. The believers prayed for guidance in making decisions and for courage to witness for Christ. In fact, prayer was a normal part of their daily ministry. Stephen prayed as he was being stoned. Peter and John prayed for the Samaritans. And Saul of Tarsus prayed after his conversion. Peter prayed before he raised Dorcas from the dead. Cornelius prayed that God would show him how to be saved. And Peter was on the housetop praying when God told him how to be an answer to Cornelius's prayers. The believers in John Mark's house prayed for Peter when he was in prison, and the Lord delivered him both from prison and from death. The church at Antioch fasted and prayed before sending out Barnabas and Paul, and it was at a prayer meeting in Philippi that God opened Lydia's heart, and another prayer meeting um, opened the prison doors. Paul prayed for his friends before leaving them. In the midst of a storm, he prayed for God's blessing. And after a storm, he prayed that God would heal a sick man. In almost every chapter of Acts, you find a reference to prayer. 
And the book makes it very clear that something happens when God's people pray. This is certainly a good lesson for the church today. Prayer is both the thermometer and the thermostat of the local church. For the spiritual temperature either goes up or down depending on how God's people pray. Whoa, that's huge, hey? John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, said, Prayer is a shield to the soul, a sacrifice to God, and a scourge to Satan. In the book of Acts, you see prayer accomplishing all of those things. Isn't that awesome? Ah, makes me fiery. Um, Homework. Can you chuck up those scriptures? So they are all the scriptural references for all the things that I just said. So if you want to take a photo of that and spend some time in the Word looking up those verses and reading it for yourself, that would be a powerful time for you. Dallas Willard um, says this. He says, The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is an idea that haunts the minds of many who sincerely sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing, replacing it with a dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. He's saying, man, the idea that whether you pray or not, whether it's going to shift something, if you... If you are thinking that, how can you have faith? How, like, why would you pray? If you're like, it's not even going to do anything, why would you even engage? Faith begins where the will of God is known. And he says that, man, when my people humble themselves, when they pray, I will heal their land. I will move. There's so many... Um, testimonies in the word of when people sought the Lord in prayer and he moves in power. Anyway, often we can feel guilty about not praying enough because sometimes I think that we feel like it should be easy for us if we're devoted to God. If we're truly devoted to God, it should be easy. But we live in a body We live in a fleshly body. And remember, sometimes it's a discipline until it becomes a delight. Have you ever gone to pray and you just don't have the words? Anyone been there? You're in good company. Happens to the best of us. Happened to the disciples, actually. And they went to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. Teach us. And you've probably heard this scripture a million times. But we're going to read it in Luke 11. 
And it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive everyone who has indebted us, and lead us not into temptation. You might have You've probably heard that a thousand times. You've probably prayed it. Do you pray like this? That's the question. Do you pray like this? This was not a, um, this was not words that Jesus was giving people to recite mindlessly. This was a template that he was giving them so that they could springboard from something. They could have, they could have a, they could find their way in prayer, if you'd like. And he's giving us a scaffold so that we can engage in effective, powerful prayer that changes things, all right? So we're going to go through it. The first one is Father. We start as sons and daughters of the Most High God. It is not an accident that he put that there first because we come to him as a child would to their perfect father. That's got to be a heart posture. We come to the Lord as a child does to their father. We need to make sure that our sonship is sorted. Are you, do you know that you know that you're a child of God? Do you know that you know that he's a good father and, and he's going to take care of you? Are you settled on this? If not, get solid. Get sorted. Get it sorted. You're a son in the kingdom of God. God is your father. If you're not solid in that, talk to someone who is. Don't come to him like an orphan because your prayers will be different. Second, hallowed be your name. Hallowed. We don't use that terminology anymore. What does hallowed mean? It means holy. It means consecrated. It means separate. So Jesus is like, you come to the Lord as a child, as his son or as his daughter, and then what do you do? You worship him. God, you are holy. You are holy. You are seated far above All rule and authority, principality, power and dominion. You are wonderful. You are highly exalted. Right? You camp there. It's not just like, hallowed be your name, and then you move on. No, you worship the Lord. 
Catherine Kuhlman would say, if you've got 10 minutes to pray, you worship for nine. Why is that? Because it shifts your focus from you and this temporal world to the Lord. And He is holy. He is above everything. And it shifts your gaze, your perspective, and all of a sudden you're starting to think and operate from a higher realm. Where we ought to be thinking and operating from. As Colossians 3 tells us, you are seated above, with him above, right? This is how you get to that place of operating from above. You camp on who he is, his holiness, his worthiness. Don't rush that bit, right? You camp there. You camp there. You keep worshipping him. You keep um, declaring who he is until his presence comes. I'm serious. I don't want to pray without him in the room. Do you? Why would we do that? Why would we pray without him in the room? Right? So hallowed be your name. It's like... So he's like, you're his son or his daughter, and then you worship him until he's there. Because all of a sudden, man, then your prayers are completely different because God is in the room. And man, that's what he paid for. He paid to be there, present, in the room with you. All right. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. This is a good prayer to pray. In Matthew 6, I think it's verse 9, that is the extended version of this prayer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is telling us um, plainly, this is the will of God for the way it is in heaven to be established on the earth. That is good news. We can then have faith to pray, God, I pray that my neighbors will get saved. I pray that your power would flow through me when I pray for the sick. I pray that I'd see people healed, right? It means that we can start to Pray with faith that the kingdom of heaven will start to infiltrate every part of our lives. So you get specific on this one. You don't just pray this general prayer. Lord, I pray that your kingdom will come and your will will be done. No, man. You get specific. You pray over your family. Lord, I set my family apart for you. And I pray that your kingdom would come in this house. I pray that your will would be done here. I pray that our conversations would be edifying and encouraging. I pray that we would glorify you. I pray that people would see you when they look at our family. I pray that your power would flow through our house, right? Your workplace. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come to my workplace. I pray for heavenly solutions in my workplace. 
I pray for God encounters. I pray for that annoying person who I can't stand. I pray that they would meet you, Lord, because you love them. Give me your heart, Lord. I release the kingdom of heaven over that person, right? For your school, Isaiah, prayer walking the oval. He's like, Lord, your kingdom come. I pray for those kids that are in darkness. Put them in the light. I pray that your kingdom would come to my school. Lord, come in like a mighty wind. Holy Spirit, move. Right? We're not even starting to pray about us yet. We're, we're praying about the Lord's kingdom coming to the earth. I feel jacked up just talking about it. I don't know about you, but I feel like my heart's like, let's just pray. Oh, my gosh. Everything, every area. Man, Lord, your kingdom come in my finances. Show me what to do with them. They're all yours. My business, my relationships, every part right? You get specific. By the time you're here, you are so jacked up on the possibilities of heaven that you've forgotten about your silly little problems that you were going to come to the Lord with. This is true. This is what happens for me anyway. I don't know what you, you mob do, but <laughs> all right. But then he goes on, give us each day our daily bread. It is okay for us to bring our prayers and requests to the Lord. In fact, he tells us to because he's a father and he's a good father and a perfect father. So you bring them and you're so jacked up. <laughs> You're so full of the Lord because you've been praying about his kingdom coming and your will be done. You're not stressing about it anymore. Often I get here and I'm like, Lord, you know about that. So I just, I surrender it. There it is. I'm not going to think about it anymore. Right? And forgive us our sins. Repentance is a gift. Yes, when we make Jesus our Lord, he washes us clean. He washes our sin away as far as the east is from the west. He makes us clean, holy, blameless, above reproach. He gives us a new heart, a heart to know the Lord we're no longer slaves to sin, but we can choose to partner with it still. Remember what the word says, sin is crouching at your door and its desire is for you, but you must rule over it, right? So if you sin, if you partner with sin, God is faithful and just and he'll forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But but we're to keep our accounts short with the Lord. If you've missed it, you'll know. You'll feel it in your heart because you've got a pure heart. And you'll, you'll feel it immediately. If you partner with something, if you do something that 
that is not that is not the ideal thing to do, your your heart will be like, uh oh. You feel it. Right? So every day, like David, I know he was in the old covenant, but he was like, Search me, Lord, and know me. Is there anything, any wicked way within me? Little things, attitudes that we can have, judgments that we can make, little offenses that we can take on, right? Every day, just make a habit of it. Lord, I just give everything to you. Is there anything in me? Is there anything? Get rid of it. Every day, I'm, I'm just like, Lord, rip it out. If there's anything I've partnered with that's not of you, get rid of it. I don't want anything between this. Right? It's important. Don't let things pile up. Keep your account short with the Lord. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Forgiveness is a big deal, guys. That's why he put it in here. He's like, let it go. Every, like, every time you, you spend your time with the Lord praying, check your heart. Is there anyone I am holding unforgiveness towards? This, <clears throat> this is so important. Unforgiveness is a doorway for demonic activity in your life. What does the devil need? to um sorry but yeah he needs agreement and he needs access christians can give the devil agreement and access and when they do it can allow demonic activity in your soul realm and that's why we see christians who are bound with all sorts of dramas going on it's because they've given the enemy access and agreement, right? Unforgiveness is often one of the big things that is present, right? So, deal with it. Get rid of it. If you have unforgiveness in your heart towards someone, drop it. You talk to the Lord about it. You try and work it out. What is the biblical way that we do it? Matthew talks about it. You go to the person, you have a conversation, right? And if that doesn't work, you can get someone from church to help you. And if that doesn't work, you drop it. You leave it to the Lord. You try and fix it. And if it can't be fixed, then it's the Lord. You leave it to the Lord and you, you, you release that person. This is such a big deal for the body. I remember, um, oh man, we're going back a long time now. Maybe 16 years ago, 15 years ago, 
um, my lesson in unforgiveness from the Lord. I um, had had a really awful, hard thing happen to me, which I'm not going to go into the details, um, but I was... Uh, I was broken and I was hurt. And I remember um, I remember sitting on the couch with, with God and just being like, I was a mess. And I was like, God, what do I do? And he said, Naomi, what do I do for you? Every time you miss the mark, every time you stuff up. And I said, I, then I was a mess. I was like, you forgive me. You reached into my life and you ripped me out of darkness when I was in blatant disobedience. You cared to chase me down. <laughs> And he said to me, you go and do the same. And all of us want to be like, but that's not fair. But what about, but what about me? What about all of the things? And he's like, you go and do the same. We, we have no right to hold anyone to, to account because Jesus has forgiven us for everything that we've ever done wrong and ever will do wrong. It is such a gift. Remember what you've been forgiven of. Remember, remember your salvation. It helps when you need to release someone else, yeah? Uh, where are we up to? And lead us not into temptation. The Matthew uh, version says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It is right that we would pray this over our lives. Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. It's right that you pray this over your family, over your business, over your possessions. Over your car, Nadine. She must have gone out to the kids. Over everything. Lord, deliver us from evil. David, the Psalms are full of David being like, deliver us, Lord. Right? Jesus is like, pray it. It matters. Men, you are the priests of your home. Pray over your homes. Pray over your children, your wives, right? Your possessions with authority because the Lord's given it to you. Lord, deliver my family from evil. Lead them into righteousness. Protect them, Father. Hem them in. Lord, I cover them with the blood of Jesus. This is not, this works. This is good for you to do, men. And if you're like, well, I don't have a husband or my husband won't do that for me, guess what? 
ladies, it works for you too. So you do this for yourself. If you don't have a man that will do it for you, you do it for yourself, right? And you take authority over your life, your possessions, your workplace, and you plead the blood of Jesus over it. And you pray that the Lord would deliver you from evil and lead you in the path of righteousness. Amen? Come on, it's powerful. Jesus finishes this with a parable, which is cool. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Impudence, it means shamelessness. This guy is shameless. He's going to his friend in the middle of the night. He knows it's a huge inconvenience and he's like, I need the bread. Jesus is not saying, like, he's not saying this is how the father is. The father is the opposite. He's like, even the tired, cranky friend is going to end up giving the, the person, the bread, what he needs because of his shamelessness. How much more will a loving father give his children what they need? Ah, oh, isn't it good? And I, and I tell you, Jesus goes on, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Ah, that's our dad. He hears when we pray. It's his delight to answer us because it's his name on the line. It's his name on the line. For his name's sake, he will answer our prayers. And when you pray like this, you're not praying fleshly, earthly, God, give me a million bucks so I can do what I need, you know, so that I can live a fleshly life. You are praying in the will of the Lord. You are praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Come on. We should proceed, enfold, and follow everything with prayer. It changes everything. Changes everything. So today I want to end praying.